Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello everyone and welcome to Blogging Theology. Uh, today I'm delighted to talk again to Bassam Zawadi. You must welcome, sir. Assalamu alaikum. Alaikum salam. It's good to be a presenter here again, Paul. <laughs> yes. Role reversal again. Yeah. Um Many arguments are raised against Islam, and one of the most common ones concerns the application of Islamic hadood, or fixed corporal punishments, that are applied to criminals who commit certain crimes. Corporal punishments are widely unpopular today, but can they be defended rationally? And today, Bassam will help us uh, in exploring this question. Now, for those who don't know, Bassam Zawadi is a uh, popular uh, Muslim author who writes extensively about issues related to Islamic apologetics and Islamic modernist discourse. His work can be found at calltomonotheism.com, his academia page, his blog, islamicdiscourse.substack.com, uh, I'll link to these uh, places uh, in the description below, by the way. And he has a master's degree in philosophy of religion and ethics. So over to you, Bassam. Thank you, Paul. Bismillah wa salatu salam ala rasulullah. Um, you know, just, just before we dive in, uh, you know, we are recording this session on October 10th, 2023. And I just want to pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protects our Palestinian brothers and sisters from their oppressive occupiers and to keep them firm upon iman and to accept our martyrs and to ease the pain and suffering of their loved ones i mean um with that said uh let me let me uh share my screen this presentation can you see it paul i can see it well yes thank you right right okay um so, as you said, Paul, you know, one of the oft-repeated arguments raised against Islam concerns the hudud, or the corporal ta'ziri, or discretionary punishments, such as flogging, for example. Mm. Um, it is argued by some critics that such corporal punishments are too barbaric, and therefore an all-merciful God would never legislate such punishments. And Muslims have, in various ways, uh, addressed these arguments. Um, one approach that has been taken is to stress the correct understanding of the application of these Islamic corporal punishments. Um, they stress the strict preconditions that have to be met in order to carry out these Islamic corporal punishments. So, for example, um, they must be applied by those in authority not by vigilantes. Um, the level of evidence demanded to apply these hudud um, must also be met. And if there's even an iota of reasonable doubt that the person in question did not uh, commit the crime, um, uh, then the head punishment would not be applied. Um, moreover, when corporal punishments such as flogging are applied, they can't be unbearably brutal and must be applied within the boundaries of reasonable force and strength. 
and so on. Um, thus, Muslims who take this route of argumentation and defense stress that the primary function of Islamic corporal punishments is primarily to deter people from perpetrating these crimes. Um, another approach Muslims have taken, which I personally prefer, is to undercut the argument from the get-go by taking the discussion back to its very roots. Namely, what mm. is the objective moral foundation of the critic lodging this argument? And why should I, as a Muslim, deem this moral standard the critic appeals to, to be authoritative? On what objective basis is the criticism that Islamic corporal punishments are too barbaric and hence unjust even correct? Mm. Now, some argue that their objective moral basis for deeming these Islamic corporal punishments as unjust is that they are universally deemed to be so by all people. But, you know, is that really the case? I mean, would all people who ever lived, past and present, deem the Islamic corporal punishments to be unjust because of their level of harshness? Well, keeping aside the questionable validity of that argument to begin with, it's simply untrue. We know that entire societies in the past, especially, especially in the past, and many people today would not agree with that, since entire societies deemed it perfectly fine to apply punishments considerably much harsher than those uh, legislated by Islam. Is the objective moral standard of the critic the Bible? Well, we all know that the Bible teaches that God is fully capable of instituting brutal punishments during warfare and for other moral crimes. Um, I won't be going over them. People can just Google Old Testament punishments to get an idea of what's there. And I also encourage people to see your video on Blogging Theology, Paul, called Fact Checking Robert Spencer, just a couple of weeks right. ago, where you masterfully demonstrated that Christians throughout history did not understand that these Old Testament laws were abrogated. And it's and it's not even the Old Testament only, you know? It, we also know that the New Testament and the Book of Revelation teaches mm. that Jesus will be coming back to be ruthless with his enemies. Now, mm. for the Christian to respond by saying that God instituted these harsh laws in a limited time frame for a specific number of people for a restricted number of reasons and objectives, while Islam, on the other hand, uh, Islam's supposedly barbaric corporal punishments are applicable today for everyone, that's not a sufficient and convincing response. Because at this point, the Muslim can easily push back and ask why God cannot remain all merciful and all just while having the power to extend and expand his harsh legislations beyond a particular era and geography and peoples. You know, what, what is it intrinsically about God and his attributes that forbid him from instituting these harsh laws in the 21st century, but not in the centuries before the birth of Christ? Or Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. To, to interrupt, uh, I know I mentioned this in the video that I did, you referred to, but even in the New Testament, in the Gospels, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 15, for example, Jesus uh, criticizes the Pharisees for abandoning the commandments mm. of God for the sake of their tradition. One of the commandments he explicitly mentions was actually the punishment for the person who speaks evil of their parents. And mm. the punishment is death. Mm. Is quoting from Levitical law. Now, I, I'm not advocating death, and you're not advocating death mm. for that. But that's not the point. The point is in the New Testament, in the Gospels, in the teaching of Jesus himself, we had these harsh punishments directly referred to and endorsed over against those who ignore them. It's not just, you know, a notional reference. It is, no, you should implement them. Uh, and that's Christians usually, for some reason, don't are not cognizant of these statements in the Gospels. And I'm not sure why. And they yeah. usually refer to the woman caught in adultery story in John, which uh, is a beautiful story. And I wish it were true. Unfortunately, uh, it's not part of the original gospel. It was added by Christian scribes centuries later. Everyone now knows this in academia, and even Bibles themselves actually usually reference it, not actually part of the original Bible. So that story is likely not historical, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, uh, you, uh, uh, I mean, even several Jews today would still believe that these Old Testament laws are to be applied. Now, Israel well, is a secular Jews. country today. Yeah. But, you know, there was a controversy where a several years, a few years ago, um, the Israeli defense forces um, assigned uh, 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 the, the chief rabbi position to someone who was known to advocate for the rape of Palestinian women. And he justified his stance uh, according to the Bible, right? So, uh, and, and obviously, and this was a, the chief rabbi of the IDF, right? Now, obviously, secular Jews, um, you know, uh, condemned his appointments, but that's because they're secular, right? But from a religious, you know, a, a religious Jewish perspective, it, it, it may not be fairly obvious to everyone that, that the position he holds is even controversial, right? And, 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 and again, you know, like, what, what is it? intrinsically about God and his attributes that you know he, he that he cannot that he cannot legislate these harsh rules you know from an Islamic perspective for non-jews globally but can only do so for Jews living in a specific geographical region of the world right mm -hmm. so you know the Christian cannot provide a philosophically and theologically robust and consistent and convincing response to this question right if one already believes in a God, that can command the things we see the God of the Old Testament do, then the critic, the Christian critic does not have an objective moral reason for stating that it is impossible for God to legislate the Islamic corporal punishments for all people, you know, during all times for different objectives than those in the Old Testament, right? Like, if you want me to leave my religion because of these hudud, then don't expect me to come and adopt yours uh, 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 while remaining consistent, right? 
Um, there, there, there is a slightly changed subject. There's an elephant in the room here is that uh, in Matthew's gospel, again, there are many passages where Jesus speaks of the terrible reality of hellfire. Mm. And those that will be sent there on the day of judgment in Matthew 25, the, sh- the power of the sheep and the goats, you know, whole peoples would be sent to hellfire. Mm. And and w- w- he talks about the grinding and gnashing of the teeth. It's not a pleasant place to be. So if one has a problem with those punishments in this life uh, on Christian grounds, yeah. then you must object uh, to the idea of punishment in hellfire as well. I mean, you end up unraveling the whole religion, even yeah. Jesus explicit teaching becomes obsolete and you end up adopting a secular liberal kind of uh, creation of religion. Um, yeah, and, and they, they'll, they'll, respond and t- they'll respond and say, Paul, yeah, but that's in the next life, not this life, but that's such an ad hoc response. It's the same. Like, it's, still, it's still real still real life. Exactly, it's still real life. Exactly, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it's, I, I mean, even for those Christians that don't believe in a literal hell, and, uh, and if you recall, you know, we did talk about it when I when I did the episode on hell on Bogan theology, right? But they would still believe in this eternal solitary confinement of the individual, <laughs> right? So that's still torturous, you know. Still... So uh, again, uh, they're, they're, they simply are not being uh, consistent when they when they raise that argument. Now, uh, perhaps the objective moral basis of the critic against Islamic corporal punishments. Um, is his respective Western government's constitution and the liberal values uh, it espouses. But with all due respect, you know, these governments and these peoples and their peoples, you know, uh, as much as they like to portray themselves as such, they they are not the moral guardians of the world. Um, They have to do the hard work of proving that their moral standard is objectively true rather than being merely concocted and constantly amended to align with the whims and the desires of men. Now, Mm. with all that said, you know, Muslims can immediately see that putting emotions and personal subjective desires aside, there really is no successfully objectively grounded moral and ethical critique of Islamic corporal punishments. And Frankly, it's more than enough for Muslims to stop right there and put the ball into the critic's court. Nevertheless, we can go a step forward and try to argue that there is a lot of wisdom behind the Islamic corporal punishments. Um, As the eminent uh, Tunisian uh, scholar uh, Ibn Ashur, may Allah have mercy on him, uh, said in his treatise on on Maqasid al-Sharia, the aim of the Sharia, uh, the aim of the Sharia with regard to the legislation of fixed penalties, just retribution, discretionary penalties, and injury compensation, is to achieve the following three objectives: to reform the criminal, to satisfy the victim, and to deter the imitator of criminals. And then he proceeds to elaborate on each of these objectives. Um, again, many Muslims have written and spoken about this topic at length, and the listener is free to read and listen up on the current resources available out there. What I wish to do here today, however, is something uh, a little different, which is to cite non-Muslim academics who defend the utilization of corporal punishments. Yeah. They propose that the use of corporal punishments 
in a limited form is a much more morally superior alternative to the prison system as particularly structured in many Western countries, especially the United States. Now, let me make myself very clear here. I'm not saying that all these academics are speaking about all of the Islamic corporal punishments or even the Islamic corporal punishments altogether in mm. the context of their statements that I'll be sharing, uh, inshallah. Um, nor am I suggesting that I agree with everything they are saying, because some of these some of these academics, ironically, actually propose measures deemed too harsh according to Islamic standards. Okay, some some of them are ac actually propose flesh tearing, taming of criminals, which is completely forbidden in the Sharia. Right, you cannot flog uh, to that extent that you're tearing off the skin of the uh, of the criminal. And some of them do go overboard in their criticisms of the prison system. So I'm not suggesting that I am buying into their sweeping criticisms of the uh, uh, of the prison system wholesale, right? Nevertheless, as you'll be as you'll see, inshallah, many of their statements are actually very eye-opening in demonstrating that just based on our subjective rationality alone, one cannot decisively demonstrate that the prison system today is somehow a morally superior alternative to the Islamic corporal punishments, or that corporal punishment of criminals in its essence is backward or morally deficient. Therefore, if you're going to make noise about Islamic corporal punishments being too harsh, then be equally consistent when it comes to the alternatives currently in place. And don't be arbitrarily selective. So that's the primary aim of my presentation today, to actually test the consistency and and objectivity of the critics, Kulaji's arguments against. It, it might be worth noticing that whenever that there's a particularly nasty, uh, in the UK anyway, and I'm sure it's true in other European countries, a nasty rape or a child molestation or something, court case, uh, you know, you, you'll get big outcries uh, uh, from the public for harsh punishments, including the death penalty uh, and and corporal punishments as well. I, I think are many many people in the public would would find them acceptable in certain situations, even though it's completely contrary to the ruling ideology of our country, our constitution, its laws, and our gate and our guardians of our morality officially would abhor it. But I think actually they're very popular in certain circumstances amongst the general public. Certainly in America, we don't really need to ask that question in America, but but actually I would say in Western Europe as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, and, and especially if if the crime was perpetrated against them, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. so when they're personally involved as well, um, yeah. you know, uh, sometimes. Um, uh, they would wish that these corporal punishments were just instituted for that day during that particular. Yeah, but it, it's, particular it's, it's an, Ibn Asher, your quote there it says to satisfy the victim, and mm. there's a sense that the victim wants wants satisfaction, if that's the right yes. word. Yeah. So we'll start off with this book by oh. Graham Newman, uh, Justin Painful. Uh, I have a red copy. You've got an orange copy. I've got a red. Copy. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty weird. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, I believe you're familiar with this uh, with this author. Yeah, I mean, I, I, this is this is uh, this is my uh, copy of of said book. Uh, who is uh, Graham Newman? You may ask. Well, he is uh, looking at the uh, website uh, of the University of Albany in New York. He is distinguished professor emeritus at the School of Criminal Justice. So he's not just any old professor. Yeah. He's a distinguished professor yeah. uh, at an eminent university in America. And he has uh, written a number of books you can see online, but he has written this book, Just and Paper, defending the efficacy and the desirability of the use of corporal punishment. So this is not just Muslims, but eminent criminologists in the United States uh, who have been advocating this for some time. Yeah, there are many interesting quotes in this book. So let's, let's start off with this one. Right. What is barbaric? The cultural arrogance of this position I have already noted, but the hypocrisy of it I have not. Injury to the body of the accused already occurs in uncontrolled proportions within prisons through rape, beatings, and protection rackets in prison. Corporal punishment, as described in this book, makes sure that we are publicly accountable for the punishment we administer and any injury that occurs to the inmate. This is not what happens with prisons, which are secret, allowing many hidden punishments for which society avoids responsibility because these injuries were unintended, though predictable. That, that's a point, great, if I, sorry, if I could just pause there, because it's just it's just remi- reminding me. I remember reading, uh, I, I haven't thought of this until this moment, uh, reading a, an article, a news article uh, uh, last week, I think, about, uh, I think it was in The Guardian, actually, about the experience of uh, prisoners in the United States and the Mm. huge numbers of prisoners in America Mm. um, uh, uh, during the summer, even now, who are suffering uh, because of the lack of air conditioning in their prison cells. Mm. Mm. Air conditioning, what a luxury. Mm. But in the very intense heat uh, you get in in the United States, in in the southern states, um, actually to be locked up in a cell for 23 hours a day uh, in stifling heat uh, without any relief uh, water or air conditioning or windows um, it is and, and this is being a cause of concern and I, I would say that as a form of torture because mm. the, the authorities it would seem choose not to have air conditioning in these prisons even though they know temperatures particularly with global warming are reaching higher and higher every year and it's it goes on for weeks and weeks and months and these these prisoners are suffering intense heat yeah. in a oh. box 24 hours a day now th- this ties in with what you, you just said you know uh, these are the secret punishments mm. if you like and people say oh well that they deserve it or whatever but do, do they uh is, is this is this barbaric of course it's barbaric i would argue mm, mm. no yeah no, no good point thank you for that interjection thank you for that introduction i mean the same point is also made by u.s attorney uh john gleisner um in his article prison overcrowding cure, judicial corporal punishment of adults. Mm. He says, punishment in prison is not judicial corporate punishment, but a disciplinary action to enforce prison rules. Judicial corporal punishment is far different than corporal punishment as prison discipline. The authority for judicial corporal punishment, corporate punishment, is from the courts under the law. The punishment is finite, structured, and public. And after most sentences of judicial corporal punishment, the convicted defendant would be free to go. 
British and American judicial corporal punishment was generally imposed in public, while corporal punishment as a condition of confinement often lacked due process and was hidden from public and visual judicial scrutiny. Now, this is quite insightful. You see, mm. you see when the Islamic State applies the corporal punishments, it, is, it the state is responsible for applying them fairly and accurately. You know, you know, they can't just fl the flogging isn't just you know in any way. There has to be a certain method of flogging, right? Uh, the individual can't lift his arm up. You know, uh, the, the the flogger can't lift his arm up way too high to to ensure that he's he's not overbeating and harming. And, and, and these restrictions, by the way, are not just random man-made regulations. Hmm. The, these are written down or articulated by the Prophet Muhammad upon him be peace so this is this is actually hardwired into the mm. islamic faith so mm. this is not just some kind of man-made concession absolutely absolutely you know if they go overboard in causing excessive harm to the one being punished then the state will be held accountable right unlike prison where people are suffering insurmountable pain through gang fights rape and brutal treatment by prison guards and lack of air conditioning as you mentioned and so on you know a lot of uh, you know, a lot of them, as the authors correctly note, being very predictable uh, uh, conditions given the way the prison system operates. And because they do not take place publicly, like mm. state-sanctioned corporal punishments, there's also a lack of accountability for the unjust wrongs that take place in prison. Graham Newman continues, they call corporal punishment maltreatment, but they do not call prison maltreatment. They claim that corporal punishment causes humiliation and terror. Yet we will see in this book that none of the research substantiates this claim, but it is well established that prison rests on a platform of humiliation and terror. Some criminals may deserve such punishment. Unfortunately, humiliation and terror in prisons occur by default not by design, and therefore subject all inmates indiscriminately to such punishments regardless of their crimes. And here we see a good point being made, which is that administering corporal punishments can be precise in delivering the exact and required punishment to the specific individuals deserving of them. But when you have such a chaotic prison system, as you do in many countries in the West, many prisoners inevitably suffer undeserving, brutal treatment. I mean, just just an addition, I don't mean to bang on about America all the time, but um, in some states in America, uh, it is legal to uh, require prisoners to work uh, and not always for pay. Mm. And because the the uh, and this this could be seen as slavery of yeah. course, uh, but but that's the point because there is actually an amendment in the constitution which actually uh, says that it exempts prisons from the slavery prohibition. So slavery is actually legal in the United States. This may sound like the most bizarre, weird claim ever made, but it's actually accurate. Uh, slavery uh, is actually permitted or, or not or not uh, outlawed um, in the prison system in the United States. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Graham goes on to say, as for the claim that a criminal 
has the right of integrity over his own body. Who are they trying to fool? Such a right is worthless if that body is enclosed in a prison cell, especially if that cell contains other violent inmates who may attack each other at will. Given this confusion of our experts about criminal punishment, it seems perfectly reasonable for a civilized society to reconsider the painful possibilities of criminal punishment. All the possibilities, including various ways of inflicting pain. So basically what Newman is saying is, look, don't go around lecturing people about bodily integrity and human dignity and all this stuff in your criticism of corporal punishments while you do not consistently and equally voice concerns about prisoners being locked up in prison cells with other violent criminals who should be nowhere near them, right? He also goes on to say, however, the difference between such acute punishment as corporal punishment and the chronic punishment of prison is that the chronic pain of imprisonment is actively promoted over a long period of time. The hypothesized humiliation of corporal punishment is not actively promoted after the punishment is administered. The offender is free to make it into a continuing painful experience or simply to forget it. The offender is not free in prison to minimize the chronic pains of everyday life. Furthermore, it is highly likely that the inmate will, in fact, be subject to physical violence while in prison. Thus, prison ought truly to be seen as a mixture of chronic and continuously applied acute punishments. So what he's basically saying now, what he's saying could possibly be disputed when it comes to some of the corporal punishments. But overall, his essential point is pretty spot on. He's saying, look, the physical pain the physical pain inflicted by corporal punishment is mostly restricted to the time it is administered and perhaps shortly thereafter as you feel the pain. So we're talking about pain lasting anywhere from hours to weeks. Yeah. But when in prison, for that duration, which could be several years, you're always looking over your shoulder, worried about your safety periodically getting beaten up, and so on, right? So the mental and physical anguish could actually be more intense for a longer period of time while serving time in prison as opposed to being um, uh, subject to a finite application of corporal punishment. In other words, five minutes of getting flogged with the pain lasting maybe a few days to a few weeks pales in comparison to several years of enduring horrible prison conditions. And, you know, let's, let's not underestimate the mental anguish of prison. Um, here, American sociologist and criminologist um, Gresham Sykes states in his book that the Society of Captives, a study of a maximum security prison. He says, the modern pains of imprisonment are often defined by society as a humane alternative to the physical brutality and the neglect which constituted the major meaning of imprisonment in the past. But in examining the pains of imprisonment as they exist today, it is imperative that we go beyond the fact that severe bodily suffering 
has long since disappeared as a significant aspect of the custodian's regime, leaving behind a residue of apparently less acute hurts, such as the loss of liberty, the deprivation of goods and services, the frustration of sexual desire, and so on. These deprivations or frustrations of the modern prison may indeed be the acceptable or unavoidable implications of imprisonment, but we must recognize the fact that they can be just as painful as the physical maltreatment which they have replaced. And that, that, that's the point, the, the, the quantification of this is the issue, because you know, uh, the physical, uh, the punishments are quantifiable, I, I guess. One can mm. see their duration, their intensity, mm. uh, measure that physical pain. But the, the what he refers to is the acute hurt, such as loss of liberty. How do we quantify that? Yeah. Uh, duration of sexual desire, how do we quantify? But it doesn't mean they're less real through perhaps being more subjective uh, and less easy to be kind of straightforward quantification, I, I think. So he makes an important point there. I mean, how, how would we quantify the pain on the loss of liberty, but the profound loss of liberty is very real because you're locking someone up. Absolutely. Absolutely. U.S. Attorney John Gleisner states in his article, which we which we referenced before, prison overcrowding cure judicial corporal punishment of adults. Judicial corporal punishment is no more brutal or cruel than the average prison. Incarceration too often results in violence, gang activities, weapon production, anxiety, rape, hopelessness, depression, boredom, wasted time, an increased risk of communicable diseases, anger, forms of abuse, racism, ugly tattoos. I find that one funny. <laughs> ugly what tattoos. What ugly tattoos is doing in there. I think. <laughs> Never have a problem with ugly tattoos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's so out of place. Ugly tattoos mental illness, and increased risks of corporal self-punishment, either self-harm or self-mutilation, and suicide. Modern American prisoners are 20 times more likely to commit suicide than antebellum slaves were in 1850. Part of society's evolution was increasing reliance upon solitary confinement, which is known to cause mental illness. Again, this is an important point. And it goes back to what you just said, Paul. You know, who is to say that the mental and or even the physical anguish caused by the prison system is more humane and dignified than state-sanctioned corporal punishment? This I, I'd like to. I, I'm sorry, I'd just like to say at this point. I don't mean to take over, but it just I want to mention the case of Julian Assange, uh, mm -hmm. who uh, is uh, a, an Australian journalist, as we know, has been incarcerated for some time now in solitary confinement in Belmarsh prison here in London. Hmm. And I mentioned his case for two reasons. One, because he's never actually been charged with any offence, uh, amazingly. Um, but he's been held in solitary confinement, as I say. And um, I, I read yesterday, a couple of days ago, I forget who it was who had visited him, uh, that he is, um, uh, he, they say that he is dying um that he, he is withering and dying away he, he has been brutalized by solitary confinement so no physical corporal punishment but the very act of physically isolating him from humanity mm. for very long periods of time is destroying him and this is torture i, I would say as a layman that is actually torture um but it's done quite legally here in london a country that is committed to human rights and decency and everything else but nevertheless, we are doing this to an a technically an innocent man. So I just want to mention Julius Sanchez, who I think should be released because we, we can't 
do this to people anyway that's a different subject but here's an example of no soldier perfectly on point yeah perfectly yeah. on point i mean and, and again you know this 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 just demonstrates once again that these sorts of arguments against corporal punishment you know they fall prey in some fashion or another to sub to to subjectivity now you brought up uh, assange but you know some people will look at this image right they'll look at this image and they'll say how inhumane how inhumane how backward right but trust me this image is much easier to look at than in actual rape and brutal beating and stabbing of prisoners. And how about the mental anguish of people like Assange, you know, being in solitary confinement for several years away from family? Can that pain be properly signified and symbolized in a single image? No. Probably not. Probably not. John Gleisner also states, Massive incarceration is not progress. American courts have found that various prison conditions and sentences constitute cruel and unusual punishment, including corporal punishment administered by prison guards. Incarceration per se is not necessarily more decent or less cruel than its predecessor, judicial corporal punishment, because almost everything depends upon the circumstances of each. Exactly. So, you know, what gives anyone the right to make these sweeping claims that, you know, prison is more humane than corporal punishment? You know, what what kind of prison system and what kind of corporal punishments and whose standard of decency and cruelty are we talking about? And why should we even deem that standard to be authoritative? And so on and so forth. So, you know, these are all very important questions that the critic of Islamic corporal punishments asked, ought, you know, ought to give convincing answers to. Mm -hmm. This is a long one. I apologize, but, you know, it's, it, it, there, there's a lot of important points here. But Gleisner goes on to say, public judicial corporal punishment possesses several unquestioned advantages over incarceration. All right. So he's saying public judicial corporal punishments possesses several unquestioned advantages over incarceration. Public judicial corporal punishment punishes offenders rapidly, provides the great benefit of example, and then releases offenders to healthier environments without harming the economy. Offenders can preserve ties to schools, jobs, families, spouses, friends, religious organizations, and communities. Prison is an expensive way to make bad people worse because of perverse socialization. Prisonization. Ties to gangs are maintained and often increased in prison. Public flogging is the gangster's worst nightmare, appearing weak to others and would reduce gang participation. Judicial corporal punishment is much less expensive exponentially faster, repeatable, flexible in application, adaptable to and supportive of parole, probation, drug court, and other alternative sentences, and brings punishment visibly back to the community from the hidden centralized model that is more easily corrupted. When administered in conjunction with parole or probation, judicial corporal punishment effectively permits judges 
to impose both determinate and indeterminate sentences. While perceived as strictly punitive, judicial corporal punishment is very brief and then enables the re reward mechanisms of marriage, family, school, religion, employment, and community. Rewarding virtue is one way to reduce crime. If the flogged offender resolves to obey the law, judicial corporal punishment is much more likely to reward virtue than a comparable prison term. Most offenders immediately receive a second chance after judicial corporal punishment. Here's another quote making the same point. Whitney Weedman in her article, Don't Spare the Rod, a proposed return to public corporal punishment of convicts. Corporal punishment applied in a public setting creates an excellent situation for shaming that does not stigmatize but reintegrates. The punishment is quickly applied and quickly finished, allowing the offender to immediately re-enter society. Contrast this with, with imprisonment, which takes criminals out of the mainstream culture and puts them in a close, continued association with a group of people who have proved their willingness to break the law, where a convict is almost inevitably socialized to other criminals' ways of thinking. When people who have served their time do return to the outside world, they find that it has changed, and their roles in it have changed even more. By keeping people convicted of crimes out of prison, we eliminate the negative socialization they receive there, and we hope replace it with a positive socialization of everyday life. These are some really insightful and interesting remarks. You know, these authors are basically saying that corporal punishment could be more effective in rehabilitating the criminal back into society. He would, he would get punished and then immediately return to his family and his community, which could prevent divorce and possibly job loss and so on. So in prison, in yeah. prison, however, one's criminal tendencies could be further reinforced by being part of prison gangs. So, and, and, and corporal punishment is also cheaper and it puts less burden on the state and, and its citizens who'd otherwise have to pay more taxes to fund taking care of an unnecessarily growing prison population and so on. So, you know, to bring this all to a close, you know, I want, I want to keep this presentation nice and short. So, you know, once again, I'm, I'm certainly like the punishments you're advocating. You want to keep it short and sharp. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> so, you know, once again, you know, I, I, I'm certainly not suggesting that the authors that I have cited presented this definitive, elaborate, rational case for corporal punishment that cannot be intellectually resisted in any way. I, I, you know, I'm not saying that. I'm also not stating that these authors that I have cited would somehow agree with all of the Islamically prescribed corporal punishments, or that some of their sweeping claims about the prison system are all totally accurate. The main point that I'm making is that you do not need to be a Muslim to recognize that an ethical and rational case can be made for instituting corporal punishments in our justice system. To see now, to see all the citations I provided in my presentation, along with even some more that I didn't even include here today, you, you could check out my article on my blog, which, is, which has the same title as my presentation, Can Corporal Punishments Be Rationally Defended? Hopefully, Paul, inshallah, you know, we could share it in the description box.
uh, later on. Um, now, some may argue that the correct solution to the problems with the current prison system is prison reform, not, not to switch to corporal punishment. But again, that just begs the question as to how much of that reform is even possible from a resource and practicable perspective while maintaining the threat of prison time as a sufficient deterrent to criminals from, from committing crimes. And my point in all this was to show that there is a host of various rational arguments out there on this topic that one can present. And this reality evidently demonstrates that it's almost impossible impossible to make objective, definitive, moral claims pertaining to subjects such as these, uh, simply based on our rationality alone. And this is why Muslims insist that the only objective moral arbiter is God and God alone. Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can inform us and enlighten us on the most optimal moral code to abide by as human beings. And that includes uh, the most just and balanced of punishments for a host of crimes. So in conclusion, just like with all other moral objections against Islam, Muslims need not worry about these arguments. They are baseless in that they are not founded and rooted in an objective uh, moral standard whose authority is compellingly acknowledged. They all ultimately amount to the critic either finding Islamic teachings distasteful to his own personal whims and desires, which, you know, frankly, isn't an argument, or the critic fails to demonstrate the veracity of the moral standard upon which he is judging Islam. Thus, we ought to dismiss these arguments and redirect the conversation to those topics that are hmm. more fundamental and foundational in terms of our disagreements with the critics. And hmm. Allah knows best. Allah knows yeah. best. Yeah, that, that's uh, very good. Um, can you bring us back to the, the main screen again? Yeah. Sure. Uh, sure. No, just a, a couple of thoughts on what you were saying. One thing you didn't mention um, is actually mentioned in the Bible, actually. I think it's in the book of Proverbs where uh, the speaker, apparently Solomon, uh, is exhorting um, parents to uh, you know, uh, uh, act on corporal punishment towards children as, as a way of disciplining. So the idea of physical punishment of, of children, uh, whether it be smacking or whatever, which is becoming increasingly uh, uh, outlawed in the West, in Western Europe anyway, um, is actually advocated in the Bible. I can't remember the exact reference this is top, top of my head, but it's in there. And, the, and so Christians used to, uh, Christian parents used to corporally punishment, punish their children, mm -hmm. uh, uh, physically punish them. And this is part of the Sharia as well, I understand. But this has been um, you know, outlawed by the West aggressively, um, certainly in Scandinavia and in parts of the UK, I think maybe in Scotland as well. But I, I think part of the problem in, although you present, I think, a very rationally compelling argument, the problem is with the argument is that it is rational and is not engaging with the cultural sensitivities as they're mm -hmm. constantly kind of percolating in the West. For example, you know, I read in the, in the papers recently uh, about in, in British universities, uh, the universities are now 
warning their students when they when they discuss uh, history, particularly like the British Empire, that they're going to be warned now that the material they may be dealing with may be offensive mm. and, and difficult to to you know uh, to read or see about. So they're, they're they're being warned about these, you know, um, uh, so, uh, and this impacts things like there are certain acts of violence uh, in the West, which are very routine and quite legal which according to Peter Hitchens, the British commentator, have never actually been broadcast in the West. And can you think about what I'm referring to? It's the it's the act of abortion. Mm. Uh, the actual killing of an unborn child, particularly in a later term, is quite legal in certain circumstances. If the child has Down syndrome, for example, they can be legally terminated up to birth. And even though they're fully human, um, and this has never actually been filmed uh, and broadcast in the media. Um, why? Because everything else has in, in you know on, on movies we see rapes and we see killings and whatnot, but abortion never because of the sensitivities around this violence, we never actually see it. Mm. Um, so th- there is this kind of squeamishness when it comes to us actually seeing uh acts of violence, uh, and this would include corporal punishments, but on the other hand we are quite happy to allow abortion to happen. We're quite happy to, you know, where there were bombing uh, Muslim countries, Iraq and so on, mm-hmm. being uh, hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, and we call it grand names. You know, I forget what uh, the Americans call it, but they have these, these grand names for this. Uh, Operation, I forget the name of it. Mm-hmm. But it kind of, it, it kind of these are casualties of war. We yeah. never actually yeah. see dead. And Final then people damage. have... Thank you. Casual damage. And we feel like Assange, we mentioned, comes along and actually uh, refers to the footage that has been taken of this, publicizes it, shares it on social media, the actual killing of people. This is very, very offensive and outrageous and we mustn't see it. So it, it seems that we, we have this kind of very kind of liberal sensitivity about some kinds of violence with the abortion or killing usually brown people or Muslims from other countries, mm. you know, Um we don't really like that very much, but we will cause intense suffering and pain, whether it be to the unborn child or to the the man or woman who's incarcerated in solitary confinement for years, deprived of liberty and intimacy and family and friends and so on. And we can countenance that because we can't see it. It's not yeah, in exactly. faces. It's just kind of a an abstraction that's just out there that happens to other people. We don't actually see it uh, at all. So, but we, it's a very kind of weird kind of situation we find ourselves in yeah uh, again you know i mean people relish in watching um combat sports whether it's ufc or boxing where people beaten up more badly than someone would probably get flogged (laughs) 30 times right some people are are left with like broken teeth or broken nose or you know a serious like dislocated shoulder or you know some serious injuries in these combat sports that people relish you know, uh, it's our modern form of, you know, uh, modern day form of, of watching gladiators go after each other. But, you know, to be fair, we're not watching them kill each other. But, you know, uh, it's not too, too too different. But, yeah, a lot of corporal punishments are, are much less brutal than that. Right. Um, and again, you know, uh, the, uh, you know, uh, every, uh, people are, are just selective when it comes to what kind of violence uh, they're, mm. they're OK. With. And what we are trying to demonstrate when we try to present these rational arguments is not trying to convince necessarily convince people to come and agree with us based on our rational arguments because i'll be the first one to admit that even the rational arguments that i've been 
presenting here today through these citations, they're not definitively rock solid that cannot be resisted. I mean, they could be argued against. But the point is, is that the rational arguments of the other of the critic could also be argued against. And so the Muslim is always trying to help the non-Muslim understand, the non-Muslim critic understand, that you cannot perfectly deduce your moral code, know everything about what is good and, and, uh, and evil, just based on your rationality alone. You might think that you have a rock-solid ra rational reason for some, for some of the things that you believe, but until someone else comes forward and presents a different perspective, right? Um, and that's all that I want to demonstrate. I just want to demonstrate to Muslims, first and foremost, that, look, you know, if you feel that um, you're being pressured and being put in a corner when, when, it, com when it comes to these critics, uh, you know, uh, then you could utilize these rational arguments not to demonstrate that they are so rock solid and tight that the other person has to agree with you that corporal punishments are therefore the right way to go, but just to demonstrate that it's it's um, uh, it, 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 it's hopeless to just rely on our rationality alone uh, to come to know what the truth is when it comes to these significant moral questions. And mm -hmm. therefore, as I concluded, it's best to just take things back to our more fundamental and foundational differences, which is what is really the true objective moral standard that we have to uh, abide by. And that, and that way we give da'wah to Islam and demonstrate that Islam has that correct moral code and should be the objective moral standard that everyone should abide by. Um, nope. And that, that, that's what I was you know, attempting to show here uh, today. You know, I, think, I think you've demonstrated that quite powerfully. It's an amazing quote. Um, the book you were quoting from us is this one, uh, Just and Painful, The Case for the Corporal Punishment of Criminals uh, by Graham Newman. I actually got this through Amazon, so it's, it's uh, mm -hmm. freely available. Mm -hmm. uh, you can probably get a PDF, I'm sure you can as well, online, uh, written by an actual living American professor of criminology, an eminent American criminologist who argues the case for it, as I say. And uh, I'm powerfully argued as well. And I think many Americans, maybe most Americans would probably agree with him, really, but probably not the liberal media who would be horrified, of course. <laughs> uh, but that's another story. Um, so thank you very much indeed, Bassam, uh, for your uh, very articulate and co cogent presentation. I'll add the links, as I say, to the description below so you can follow. Um, I I'm a big fan of your call to monotheism.com website it's been around for donkey's years but it has some <laughs> real, real gems in it and i i still uh quarry it occasionally um but your islamic discourse at substack.com is uh very good as well as is your academia page so uh do have a look folks at his work uh you will not regret it um so thank you very much Bassam. thanks a lot Paul. take care of yourself Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.